Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Good. Pam and I are leaving right after service today. We're going to be going to Grand Junction and then flying to San Antonio. So we'll be this week in San Antonio, Texas with John Hagee Ministries and Christians United for Israel. And um, Pam and I have, uh, Israel is a very much a part of our story. We believe that God will be faithful to his promises to Israel and that he will keep his word to them. The Lord said, I will bless those who bless you. And, and um, his protection has come over us. It was, I, I'll just share this testimony real quick and I'm taking out of my sermon time, but it was a, several years ago where our school was in, was facing financial challenges and and um, we were invited to the synagogue to be a part of a service honoring wounded Israeli soldiers. And I wrote a check, and the money was in the bank, but it wasn't in the budget. I don't know if you've ever written one of those checks, but it wasn't, I wasn't in a season where I actually knew what the Lord was, was going to do. And we, uh, I went up there, and I wrote a check to help support the Israeli soldiers that were getting a ski week. And... It's happened twice already that the Lord fulfilled the promise of his word. I wrote a check, and what came back was a multiplication that week of everything that we needed. Just the faithfulness of God. You know, a covenant can be thousands of years old, and God never forgets. And so it's so good. So Pam and I will lead. Last year, it was just two others from the state of Colorado. We went down and presented three pieces of legislation. They always have to do with standing with our ally Israel. And we go to all of our congressional offices and our two senators' offices and um, have these three pieces of legislation. Sometimes it deals with stopping anti-Semitism on American campuses and things like that. And so we'll be going this week to get training on those three pieces of legislation in preparation for the summer. So thanks for praying with us. Pastor Sal will be here. If you need anything, he's available so you won't be um, unattended to. But um, anyway, you can pray for Pam and I this week. How many of you, let me just ask this question. How many of you would like to have a good long life with good days? and a life that you love, right? Who doesn't want that? Believe it or not, the Bible says that's your destiny. To love life and to have a long life and see good days. I bet if I asked some people, how many of you want to live a long life? And they'd say, not this life, (laughs) right? I mean, sometimes life can get really long. I want you to know that the Bible is very specific about God's intentions towards you. Now, I want us to remember that today in 1 Peter, it's written to a group of people, Christians that had lost everything because of their faith in Christ. They were kicked out of the Jerusalem. Their friends had been murdered because they believed in Jesus. They lost homes, careers, and everything else. So we did learn in a couple of weeks ago that we can, face a, we can face a suffering. Jesus said, if you want to live godly in this day and age or in this world, you're going to suffer persecution. Yet at the same time, we can't get some kind of pursuit of martyrdom and think that God's in misery because he's not. The intention of the Lord to save you was to bless you, to give you a life that you love and a life that's long. And he wants to give you a life that's um, filled with love actually, which is a good life. So I want us to turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Let's read this together. 
Let's read this together. It brings a great balance. I really do believe that, that there are seasons of suffering that we go through that are seasons of perfecting. But I also believe that we have to keep in mind God's goodness towards us. God never changes. And so in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, we find out Peter here says, let me sum up everything. Everything. Let me sum it all up. So we had already looked about how to live in relationship with our government, how to live in relationship with our jobs, how to live in relationship with our spouses. And then he says, I'm going to sum it all up with this thought. And here in this passage, he's going to say how to relate to your church. So just be thinking about the path of blessing that God has for you, that, that God is saying that he wants to line up all of our lives in every area of our life. So in chapter 3, verse 8 of 1 Peter, he says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called, Let's look at that verse right there. For you were called for the purpose that you would inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against evildoers. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day that you have given to us, and I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, as we yield our hearts to you, I pray that there be a release of blessing and your kingdom destiny over every individual that's here. I thank you, Lord, for your word today, and let it be real in the hearts of each person. Holy Spirit, you are always welcome here, and we pray that your word will work in us even the things that we're resistant to. Lord, overpower our unbelief and stubbornness, and Father, bring us into right alignment with you, and I ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So as a look at this passage right here, first of all, he says, now this has to do with all of you. And I want to say this about our gathering here today. All of us are important to what happens in this room right now. Each and every one of us will either increase the temperature of this environment or we will chill it down. Each of us will bring evil or each one of us has the opportunity to bring good. Each one of us can actually, by our words, release a curse or some of us can release the blessing of the Lord. But it's important for all of us. And so having said this, that means this. All of us are important. So if there's any way that the, the impression of me being the one that releases the, the word of the Lord today, you, you know, tips the balance towards an importance level inside the church, it has nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, the Apostle, Peter called, Apostle Paul calls us a body, and he says the face is the least important and that the most important vital organs are actually hidden. And I want to say that today for all of you. You might feel as though you're hidden, but I just want to ask you this. Do you know that where you are right now is 
where God wants you to be. If you have that sense inside your heart, then you can have that sense of value and worth that God has for you. This is not a church where we are coming together in order to compete to get ahead of one another, but each person is really satisfied in who they are. And it takes all of us to bring a church of unity. And the Bible says this in the Psalms, that where there is unity, God commands a blessing. The course and the destiny on every individual that's in Christ, but also on every church, is a course of blessing and of destiny. And that's what God wants to do. So he says this, here's the first thing you do, live harmoniously. So when I think about being harmonious, we think about a, uh, the harmony that comes, even from a symphony, where everything instrument can look as diverse one from the other. Some are large, some are small. Some are percussion, some are strings, some are brass, some are wood. There's all kinds of instruments that are out there, and the Lord honors the uniqueness of each and every one of you, and yet every one of you is important to the harmony. But like in any orchestra, if an instrument gets out of tune, it can actually set the whole environment to, to be not fulfilling its purpose. And that's to deliver something that's beautiful. So the Lord just says here, be harmonious. Or if you look at that word, it means to be like-minded. Now, I like, my, like, I like like-mindedness. And all of us do. We all do like like-mindedness. As long as everybody else is thinking the way we are, right? Then like-mindedness is great. Well, whose mind is supposed to dominate the gathering of God's people? Well, the Bible says this, that you have all received the mind of Christ. When we all come together, man, we're supposed to be thinking the way Jesus thinks. We're supposed to be seeing each other the way Jesus sees each other. You say to me, how do I get the mind of Christ? If the promise of God as a believer is that I have received the mind of Christ, how do I develop it? Well, the Bible says this, that Jesus is called the Word of God, the Logos. If we want to have the mind of Christ, we have to read the Word of God. Go to the Gospels that tell the story about how Jesus responded to every situation. And he knew how to do it, and he knew how to do it perfectly. He knew how to pull a woman up out of shame and, and brokenness when all the men in town accused her of being an immoral woman, and yet they didn't drag the man in front of Jesus. No, just her. He knew how to pick her up, but he also knew how to get the mighty and lofty lowly when he overturned the tables in the temple. Jesus knew how to live. He knew how to think. He knew the Father's will. When you and I become men and women of the Word, we, do, we find the mind of Christ begins to be active in us. We might say to ourselves, wow, I read the Gospels today and I heard that story so many times. But I'm telling you, the Word of God is transformative and it adjusts even subconsciously the way we view the world. And that like-mindedness, then, we can bring into the body of Christ. Listen, there are thousands of broken factions of Christianity just in the United States alone. Where did they all come from? It came from people not having the mind of Christ. It came from people who were more concerned about what their agenda was and their priorities, handpicking certain truths out of the Scriptures at the expense of ignoring other ones, and then we pat ourselves on the back because we're so loyal to this one piece of the picture. And then what happens, it brings all kinds of divisions among us. The only reason churches in America don't get along is because 
Churches are filled with people without the mind of Christ. So we've got to become men and women of the word of God right now so that we can discern the day in which we live. Here's what it says in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, but a natural person. In other words, a person that taps into just the natural brain, the human brain, their mind, which is the accumulation of everything that they've heard and learned, whether it was good or bad, whether it was true or not. Everything they have experienced, whether it was a blessing or a curse, the natural mind tries to figure out the world according to all those things. It comes to church with broken thinking and blessed thinking. And the Lord would just tell us, man, the, the broken thinking actually can break the harmony of the entire congregation. And so he says, there's a natural person and it doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. It just thinks thoughts that are not guided by the Word of God or by the Holy Spirit. And it says that they, they accept, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But there is one who is spiritual, and he discerns all things. Now, this is what's amazing to me. The Lord just says, there is this kind of man. The Bible talks about it. And of course, it means a woman. And it's talking about men and women can actually come into the things of the Holy Spirit where they can discern things that are good or evil. So they don't view the world from the context of what they've learned, but from the mind of Christ. And it says that person can grow and discern everything. You begin to learn. Someone could be lying to you and representing that they're good in their nature and their intentions towards you. And yet by the Holy Spirit, and because you're sensitive to the Word of God, you discern this person is not what they're representing. By the same token, you might look at someone and say, oh, wow, that individual is obviously doesn't have their act together. And yet God can use that person to speak into your life. If you're discerning, you can hear the voice of God even from a place where you might prejudge it and say, oh, God can't be in that. God wants you and I to learn how to discern everything, how to discern your home, how to discern your family, how to discern your boss, how to discern your environment. And I believe that more than any time in my lifetime, we need men and women who can discern everything. What is the Holy Spirit saying? And what are the motivations behind what I'm hearing? That is a spiritual man. That's a spiritual woman. And God's intention is to give that to you. But it says that person will discern all things, yet he himself is discerned by no one. Now, what does that mean? There's the kind of Christian that is spiritually minded, filled with the word of God. He sees the world different than the world sees itself. But it says in the next phrase, but, and when the world looks at him or her, the world can't figure them out. There is a spirituality that can figure the intentions of the world, but the whole world looks at them and just says, what's wrong with them? How many of you, because you met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because you began to think the way the Word of God thinks, because you believe in things that the world says there's no hope for, you can discern the world, but the world looks at you and just says, you're nuts and you are crazy. 
And the Bible just says this, when we come together, we need to come in together with the mind of Christ, with a biblical worldview, so that when we come together, we, we, we live in a world that doesn't understand us, but we finally get together. And I'm like, oh, thank you, God. I'm with some people that understand me. And you're feeling the exact same way. Listen, we need each other. Therefore, being like-minded is so critical to our existence. There are people sitting in this room right now who have, have no family except this family. And there are some people that have a human family, but the whole family says something's wrong with them. You're the one at the Thanksgiving dinner. That's the oddball, right? Because you discern things differently, and they cannot discern you. Because people in this world think with a natural mind, and yet you've been given the mind of Christ. I need you, and that unity is so important that if we come in here bringing some kind of baggage from our past or some kind of broken mindsets in relationships or for carrying hurts of churches that have hurt us in the past, I'm telling you what it does. It interrupts the very source of strength and harmony that we need in order to be discerning in our generation. I need you, and you need me. I'm sorry it worked out that way, but we all need each other. We truly need each other. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, the apostle Paul said, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintain the same love. I love that phrase right there. He says, be of the same mind, but have the same love for one another. Not the kind of love where it says, I, I love you more and I act like I love someone else less. But he said, have same love. Listen, we all have intersections in our lives. Some of you work together. Some of you are related to each other. And you feel such a love for the people maybe that you are constantly interacting. And yet God would say to you, but when you come together, have same love. Love each other, buddy, everybody alike. Why? Because God loves all of you intensely and in perfection. Amen. Have same love. God help us that we would never have a click of any sort inside this church, but that it be same love wherever you go. I shared the story this morning, and I wasn't even expecting it, but there was a gentleman that used to come to our church, and he was kicked out of every homeless facility, whether it was a daycare, one-day kind of care, or long-term. Couldn't find a place for him. And every place he went, he sabotaged. And his mind was troubled by schizophrenia. And he would, you would sit with him, and he'd tell you the most horrifying, unbelievable stories. And he'd come in here, and he'd be unbathed for long periods of time. And, and the whole room would be filled with his scent. And you'd come into this place, and, and, and we had 24-7 prayer, and he, was, he, he laid on the floor here and snored all night long, like, and you're trying to pray. And in that prayer meeting, the Lord said to me, the, the way you treat him will determine your destiny. Well, you haven't seen him anymore, have you? It's been a long time since we've all seen him. And he would tell me, say, Pastor Jim, I got kicked out of this church. I got kicked out of that church. One time I walked into Starbucks and I hear, hey, man of God, and everybody turns around and looks. 
he used to take Pam and I to lunch, and then when we would sit there, it was just, he would talk so loud, and his conversations were so embarrassing, and be things like he and Hillary Clinton are running for the presidency, and all this stuff that he would say to us, and you would just go there, and the Lord said to me, same love, same love, same love, right? It's so important. Well, you know why you haven't seen him? You know why he's not on the Raptor bus anymore? Well, the reason why is because that man actually, I won't tell you the pastor, but he's famous in Texas. And the man that sat in our church with that troubled mind was the head deacon of that church. And he had a wife and four children. And as he devolved into mental illness, he lost everything. He lost his wife, he lost his children, he lost his prestige, and he lost his godliness through his mental illness. And the reason why you don't see him anymore is because his daughters have been looking for him and they finally found him. And they came and they got him and they took him back to the East Coast so they could take care of him. Do you know what? You don't know who that person is sitting next to you. And God would say to you, same love. Same love. And I'm proud of the fact that you as a church were able to embrace him. And that's why Jesus says he wants it to be. Have same love. Be united in your spirit. Intent on one purpose. He says this, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility, consider one another as more important than yourself. When that person walks into your church and they might be less than loved by this world, the Lord says, do you see that person as more important than yourself? as more important? That's the position of true humility. True humility does not say we are equal. True humility does not say we are the same. True humility, actually, that Christ would call us to is one that says, I will treat that person as more important than myself. And then we come together and we don't look out for our own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. The Lord would say to us, in order to be like-mindedness, we must all be yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, where we will love whoever he asks us to love, we will serve whoever he asks us to serve. And then going on in this passage, he says, be sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. So when we think about a sympathy, we think about sympathetic. We share each other's pains. We feel their pathos, whatever they're going through. We really have to feel what each other is going through, and no one should be suffering in silence. He says to us to be loving. And that word loving there is not the word agape, which is the strongest word for love. And you would think it would be that word, but he actually uses the word phileo, which is brotherly love. And he says when you come together, make sure you have brotherly love. Or it actually, it's a lesser word than love because it actually means to like each other. I think it's easier to love than it is to like sometimes. No, but the bottom line is this. How many times do you hear in the body of Christ people saying, well, I love them because God told me to love them, but I really don't like them. But that's a pathetic attempt to really love. The Lord says you also should be liking each other, which sometimes requires a searching for what is good in each other. I think sometimes it's harder to like than it is to love. 
And so when we think about that, he says, make sure that you love one another, that you're compassionate. And then also we find out that love can never operate where people aren't humble. You know, we just have to be humble. Whatever our station is. To become humble, for some it's a further fall than others. But all of us should treat each other with humility. So then in John chapter 13, verse 21, I couldn't help but think about this because we're talking about Peter. And surely Peter must have been thinking about the time that they were in the upper room and the disciples were all coming together in the warmth of the moment of the Last Supper and they really should have been able to love one another. But in that upper room, someone was going to betray Jesus Christ. And so inside Peter's heart, he must have been really, for the rest of his life, just been thinking, People can really be loving towards one another, and yet there can be a cataclysmic event that scatters the whole. So Jesus had just finished washing the disciples' feet, which we don't need to have a foot-washing ceremony to be able to fill that commandment. You don't want to do that, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> but foot-washing is actually an attitude of the heart. And Peter's thinking about it in John chapter 13, verse 21 when Jesus had said these things, he became troubled in his spirit and he testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. Lying back on Jesus' chest was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter nodded to his, this disciple and said to him, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. He then simply leaned back on Jesus' chest and said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, That man is the one for whom I shall dip the piece of bread and give it to him. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he took it and he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after this, Satan then entered him. Therefore Jesus said to him, What are you doing? Do it quickly. Now, none of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. And for, some were assuming, since Judas kept the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we need for the feast, or else that he was to give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he left immediately, and it was night. So Jesus is with these brothers that he really loved. And there was one that was about to betray him, and what he did was he offered to him the symbol of his forgiveness the bread that was dipped in the cup. And Judas was offered another chance to not betray the Lord. And yet in that moment of an offering once again to Judas Iscariot, a forgiveness that would take him off a destiny that was going to end in hell, Judas took the bread and he went out and did the plot and fulfilled it that he had made with the religious order of his day. And so we find out that Jesus and Peter knew all about betrayal. If you say, I was, I've been betrayed in church, all I got to say is welcome to the club. <laughs> Here's the truth. Wherever there are sheep, there are wolves, right? And someone said, might say, oh, I went to church and I got hurt and those Christians aren't real. No, you went to church and you didn't meet a sheep, you met a wolf. And I'm sorry that it happened. But don't throw out your relationship with the sheep just because you met a wolf. 
And the only thing that you can do to change anything is to make sure that when you go and fellowship with the sheep, that there's nothing wolf-like in your own nature, right? And so Jesus knew what betrayal was like, and Peter knew what betrayal was like, and sometimes the people that are closest to you will hurt you. But then Jesus went on to say this in John 13, 31. When Judas had left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you can pass the rejection test, if you can pass the betrayal test, it was part of the journey to experience the glory of God. You cannot be a servant of the Lord and not pass the betrayal test. Someone's going to do something to you that you, didn't, you really didn't like, and you could, after that betrayer walks out the door, Jesus could have said, I'm done, and walked out the door and said, I'm not hanging out with those disciples anymore. But he actually, he stayed with those who were good in their nature, and he said this, now God's going to glorify me. And that's an amazing lesson for all of us to learn. You know, don't any of us bring our old hurts into the church. Because he says this, Jesus, little children, I am still with you a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But I am giving you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He didn't just say, love one another, and you, let, you set the bar wherever you want it to be. But he says, you love one another in the same way that I love you. I am so grateful. The only reason I stand here before anybody today is because Jesus loved me, and he's forgiven me so many times it's not even funny. And Jesus says, okay, you receive that love. Now give that love and give it to one another. You, 11, give it to one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says the only authentic church is a loving church. That's the only church that reveals to the world that God is doing something in their midst. Is when they truly love one another, when they get past the fence. Give this brotherly love. Jesus said that even the world loves their brothers and sisters, their natural family. But he says there's a different kind of love where you feel each other's burdens. You have compassion for each other. Whenever someone falls in an area that you would never fall in, maybe you need to realize that you've never experienced some of the pains that they've experienced. The only way to love in such a way is to come and be positioned in a place of humility and really believe that there's no one better than ourselves. And no one's gifts are more valuable to the kingdom of God in this room. In this room. And then he goes on to say this. If you want to get on the path of a long life that you love and that you see good days, he says that it's important that we respond each to each other well when we are wronged. He said this, don't return evil for evil. Something, someone did something bad for you. The mission is so important that you don't return the evil. You don't give it back. 
Do you remember when Peter betrayed Jesus? Did Jesus then betray him? No. He sought him out, and he fed him a meal, and he told him how much he loved him. Jesus had a chance to return evil for evil, but Peter realized that Jesus never changed in his attitude towards him, but he pursued him in order to bless him. What if everybody in the church, when they got hurt by another church member, pursued them to bless them, not pursued them to get the apology that they deserved, <laughs> but pursued them to bless them? Because the Lord here is teaching us is that if you give a blessing, you'll receive a blessing. And he says to us, that's your destiny. Matthew 5, 43, you've heard it said, Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Wow, that was their religious slogan. Imagine that on the front sign in the LED. <laughs> love your friends, hate your enemies. But Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Our love proves that we're children of God. Think of your Father who is in heaven, and he causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. When Jesus sends snow to this valley, you can't tell who's godly by whose roof has snow on top. The snow falls on the righteous and then the unrighteous. I don't care how unrighteous you get, the snow still falls on your roof too. And when the sun comes out, it shines on everybody. Jesus says that's the attitude of a believer. Not who deserves my blessings and who doesn't deserve my blessing, but just a mindset of I am here to bless and to be a blessing. If you love those who love you, Jesus said, what reward do you have? Even tax collectors, collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, do they not do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here, Jesus is letting us know the only way to be a perfect man and woman is to learn how to love. We can be perfect in our church attendance. We can be perfect in our mission service. We can be perfect in our sermon delivery. We can be perfect in so many ways. And Jesus says there's only one way to be perfect, and that's to learn how to love. Well, that would go to our families, our spouses, our children, our jobs. All of that is important. And the next thing is so amazing to me, because in, in the Apostle Peter then quotes Psalm 34, a psalm that jumps off the page when you read the psalms. It's this whole psalm about, do you love your life? Or would you change it for someone else's life? Do you want a long life or do you say, no, my life has been long enough? Or do you actually say, the Lord says, what you're destined for is a life where you would say, life is good and I'd like it to last as long as it can. Well, Psalms 34 starts out with this, even though Peter doesn't qu quote this part. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. At all times, I'm just going to bless the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, God, help us throughout the day that it's praise after praise, continually praising the Lord in our mouths. 
Not like, oh God, where are you? Oh, why is the Lord letting this happen again? Or all these, the Lord says, bless him at all times and let praise continually be in our mouth. Here's what he says. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. I'm not going to boast about who I am. The, I only have one bragging right, and that is that God lives in me. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me out of all my fears. I learned how to bless the Lord and God set me free from all my fears. I'm not afraid of life anymore. I'm not afraid of the future because I've aligned my mouth with the word of God. Pam, a couple weeks ago, told me she heard a sermon. I don't know who it was. And she said, the person just said this, when I learned to do this one simple thing, right? Keep it simple, right? When I get up in the morning, first thing I do is praise the Lord. When I go to sleep at night, the last thing I do is forgive everybody. That's simple. Get up in the morning, praise the Lord. At the end of the day, forgive everyone. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. And Psalms 34 talks about that. The Bible says you've been set on a course of blessing, but we're going to look at some things can get you off course. So going back to our text in 1 Peter 3, verse 10, it says, the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil, evil and his lips from speaking to see. That's Psalms 34. Let the praise of the Lord be continually in your mouth and keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking anything that's not true. He must turn away from evil and do what is good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against evil doers. The Lord is telling us this. The nature of our tongue determines our destiny. And it has nothing to do with what we've said to others. It's what we are releasing through our words. The Bible says the power of life and death is in your tongue. So do you seek a good life and long days? A long life with good days? The Lord is saying you can speak death while God wants to release life. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. In James chapter 3, verse 2. And let's remember, all of this was within the context of our church when we come together, but also all our, in our own lives. Here's what it says in James 3, 2. James is the brother of Jesus, and he wrote this. We all stumble in many ways. How many of you can say amen? amen. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able to reign in the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their whole body as well. Look at ships, too. Though they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are nevertheless directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot determines. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. The Lord is just saying to us, our tongue is so small and yet it can create a forest fire. It can destroy everything. 
Again, I just like to say, and you've heard me say it over and over again, but I've earned the right to be able to repeat myself because I've been in the ministry for so long. The thing that destroys any church is always the tongue. And it's the sin of tongues that are not controlled. And you say, well, I know a church where the pastor did this and that, and that's what destroyed the church. Listen, I was in a church where the pastor did this and that, and I witnessed it with my own eyes, and it wasn't what the pastor did that destroyed the church. It was the tongues that began to be loosed when he stumbled. That's what burnt down the church. I've never seen anything that burns down a mission, the call of God, the call to the gospel, the credibility of God's work upon the earth, like the operation of the tongue inside any congregation. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm talking with you. I love this church, and I'm, I'm glad that it's a loving church, and I'm glad that you're here long after the church service, loving on each other and taking care of each other. But the Bible just says this, the tongue a small part of the body, but it boasts of great things. It is no small thing when a word is released from our tongue. It might be a small word, but its damage is great. Now, here's what we need to understand. The tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set apart among our body's parts as that which defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of life and is set on fire by hell. Peter just said, the course of your life is a path of loving your life, a long life that's good. And James, the brother of Jesus said, but there's one thing that can change the course of your life, and that is what comes out of your mouth. Isn't that amazing? Wherever we are at in our lives right now, it's the accumulation of everything that we have spoken over our lives. Oh, no, it's my choices. Oh, no, it's my family. No, it was my education. No, it was my talents that got me where I'm at. But actually, the Bible says a man and a woman, they end up according to the fulfillment of the things that their lips have spoken. I want to encourage you today, do not speak death over yourself. Do not confess brokenness. Do not continually say for the rest of your life an identity was something that was before you met Christ. I'm telling you today, confess only good things. Bless yourself and bless everyone in your life. Even if they cursed you, you bless them. If you bless them, that you're like your Father in heaven. I don't want to set the course of my life on fire, and you don't as well. We think sometimes when we speak evil against another person, we're setting their life on fire. Oh, I'm going to destroy their reputation and say this about them. And the Bible says, you set your own life on fire. That is so revelatory, really. I can't change anybody else's destiny. First off, they're under the, uh, the sight of God, and they're determining their own choices. But I can determine where I go, and it's initiated. The rudder of my life, like a great ship, is my tongue. 
So it says this, that the tongue is lit by the flames of hell. Every species of beast and bird, of reptiles and creatures has been tamed by the human race, but no one among mankind can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people. And have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Can a spring send out both fresh and bitter water at the same time? Well, we know that the answer to that is no. The Lord is saying to us today, if you are a follower of Christ, you always bless. And if you are of the enemy, you speak curses and death. Let's hold on to the unity First off, let's align ourselves individually to just say, God, let nothing evil come out of my mouth. You also told me in 1 Peter 3 to pursue peace. Pursue it. Don't pursue gossip. Don't pursue being in the know. Pursue peace. If you hear something, don't repeat it. Plant seeds of peace in the congregation so that we can stay on the mission of revealing Jesus Christ, that he would be glorified and that the world would know that we are Christians by our love. And here's the last verse. The, Lord's, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And the context of this is those who choose to do the righteous thing, the right thing. And he says this, and his ears attend to their prayer. Do you remember when he talked about the role of husband and wife? He told the husbands, you don't treat your wife right, I won't answer your prayers. Wow, that's pretty intense. He repeats it again. He broadens it. Say, hey, that's a general principle of life. I want to answer your prayers, but you have to live in harmony and in peace. God wants the answers up to this church, our prayers to be answered. And what would God say? Well, he said it in the Psalms. Where there's unity, I'll command the blessing. Amen. Where there's unity, no one can stop the blessing. Amen. I need you. You need me. The world doesn't understand us, and we come into this place, and we understand each other. Let's keep the unity, and by keeping the unity, God will release his blessing on us. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand up this morning. Father, I thank you for this wonderful church and congregation that you've allowed us all to be a part of. And I thank you for the privilege of being in the body of Christ. And I pray, Lord God, that we would truly love one another. There are people in this room, the closest thing to family they have is this church. Bible says, greet one another with a holy kiss. What's that about? Do you know that there are people that go through an entire week and no one just shows them that they love them. The body of Christ can't be that way. We're family. We're family. Let's care for each other. Let's be compassionate, sympathetic. Let's not look after our own issues, but let's carry the situations that others carry. And let's be faithful to one another. With heads, bows, and eyes closed, I want you to know that the Lord invites you into his family today. He doesn't want you to be an orphan. You can come into the family of God. Jesus Christ left the throne of God. He's equal with God.
the three in one came. He walked among us. He knew what it was like. He knew the struggles, the pressures of life. But he was obedient to God no matter what the cost, and he gave his life for you and me so that his righteous life could be placed on our account. Jesus took my punishment, and he gave me his righteousness. You can come and meet Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. He will open up your heart to the presence of God. The Spirit of God will come and live inside of you. You'll experience the joy of the Lord, the removal of shame and condemnation and guilt. It'll put you on the path and destiny of blessing. God has good things for you. He loves you. If you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, before I close, I want to give an opportunity. If you're saying, Jim, I don't know. I don't know whether I'm right with God. I don't know if my sins are forgiven. No confidence with God. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do two things. And it's not a formula. I just want to lead you to Jesus. Jesus is calling you, not me. If you're saying, Pastor Jim, I want to be included in in a closing prayer, giving my heart to Jesus. Today, I want to make things right with God. I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand, just saying, I'm including myself in this prayer. And then if you raise your hand, I'm going to invite you to step out of your seat where you are and come forward here to the front. Jesus said, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before the Father. You won't have to say anything or do anything. Don't be afraid of this crowd. They're wonderful people. They'll rejoice that you said, I'm following Jesus. Just step out of your seat then and just say, I identify with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Before I close, would you lift up your hand saying, Pastor Jim, I want Jesus as my Savior. You'll feel the tug on your heart. It's the Holy Spirit drawing you. Do you know? God, you're so good and faithful. We love you so much. We love you, God, so much. Teach us how to love. Make us perfect in our love. I thank you, Lord, for this day and for this group of people. I pray, Lord, God, bless their journey. Say, leave this place and them carry your presence. Let them be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Give them peace. I thank you, Lord. Just bless you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. There are going to be some folks here in the front. If you want prayer today, please come forward. Let them pray for you. They want to. Whatever your need is, the Lord cares today. So come forward if you need prayer. God bless you all. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website or your favorite podcast platform. Just look for Sermon of the Week, Cornerstone Christian Center. If you would like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.